Beautiful day in the neighborhood. Although it is extremely cold, please take the proper precautions. We're going to get a little reminder. This is going to be one of those little crash course things. At some point in the show, we'll talk with Danielle Phillips from Budweiser Gardens. You know, Brian Adams is in town tonight. Big hi to Brian Adams. If he happens to be listening to London Live right now, getting the lay of the land of the city of London. If you're headed to the concert, remember, you got to be outside. You got to be in lines. And there is no opening act, so this is an 8 o'clock start, so a lot of people are going to go, well, if it's an 8 o'clock start and there's no opening act, why don't we get there at, uh, I don't know, 7.58? Yeah, let's do that. Save us some time. We'll go for dinner. You want to stay for one more before we go over? Yeah! We can get there at, what, 7.58? Yeah! That's what's going to happen. You know it, because we all live lives at the ends of our own fingertips, so... That could be cold. Find a way to get to your seats early if you want to avoid the cold. It is almost heart month. We're going to be talking about that in 15 minutes from right now. A number of other things to get to on the show today, and one of them is a potential sentence for Jaskarat Singh Sidhu, and this goes to the Humboldt Broncos crash. And here's something that I'm doing right now. And you know what? Maybe tomorrow, maybe early next week, it's, it's kind of a touchy subject. And I don't want to seem insensitive. And I really feel this, this call that I would make would be really insensitive. So I haven't made it. But here's what I'm wondering. We've heard from Richard. And by the way, hey, I've received three emails in the last two weeks asking where Richard is. Richard, if you're listening, can you please give us a call? We are concerned because we haven't heard from you in a while. We haven't heard from you on London Live. We haven't heard from you on the Craig Needle Show. And people are wondering if Richard is okay. So, Richard, if you're around, 643-2222, we haven't heard from you. But Richard told us at the time of this crash about Armley Corner. See, at that point for us, anyone who is not from Saskatchewan... This was just an intersection. This was an intersection that had a stop sign one way and no stop sign the other way and a bunch of trees. But Richard painted the picture of this. Armley Corner. From the time when he lived in Saskatchewan, and if you've been listening to 980 CFPL for a while and you know our good friend Richard, great friend of the station, you know that he lived in Saskatchewan a while ago. And... He had family members that would warn him when he was making this same trip that the Humboldt Broncos bus was making that day, that Jaskarat Singh Sidhu was making in the other direction that day. He would have family members that would warn him and say, you be careful at Armley Corner. Why? Well, because you've got these trees there. It's an intersection. It is known to be dangerous. This is not the first crash we've had. So... I don't want to make the call to someone in Saskatchewan and say, hey, have you fixed up Armley Corner yet? Because to me, that sounds very insensitive. But if I Google, I happen to find a story, another story, going back to April, just after the crash. People being interviewed, talking about how dangerous this intersection is. And saying things like, well, if something's going to be done to improve the safety of the intersection, unfortunately, this is what it's going to be. And then I'm scrolling down, and I'm looking, and I'm trying to find, and I don't see that anything has been done to improve that intersection. 
So when we start talking about sentencing and how many years in prison Jaskarat Singh Sidhu is going to serve, okay, he, yes, is at fault in this crash. He's pleaded guilty to it. He's pleaded guilty to being at fault. And he will get a number of years in prison. We know that. There'll be consecutive sentences. We're going to take you through the process of this in about a half hour from now. Because anyone who says, wait a minute, the Crown is asking for 10 years? Consecutive sentences, whatever. He deserves 200 years. You know you're going to get that. You're also going to get the other end of the spectrum, which says he has the worst life sentence that there is. He has to live with what happened for the rest of his life. So those will be the two sides. We're going to go through the process of what is happening legally in all of this, just so that we all understand it. But I want to get your thoughts on where you plot on that spectrum from the he has the worst life sentence already without a day served in prison or he deserves 200 years in prison for the lives that he took because he ran through that stop sign. But I'm also looking and saying, why hasn't somebody improved this intersection. Why am I not seeing story after story after story, news crews going out and taking pictures of people making this intersection safer, either installing another set of stop signs to make this a four-way stop, cutting down the trees and shrubs that limit visibility for drivers going in two of the directions. Why, why is that not happening? Why am I not seeing that? I'm hoping because it just doesn't pop up. I'm hoping it's because Google is just not showing those stories. Here's what I'm afraid of. Those stories don't exist because it hasn't happened yet. And yet, people living in Saskatchewan years and years ago, you be careful going through Armley Corner. That's not right. That's not right at all. So we'll talk about the process of law in just a little bit. We will also get your thoughts on a potential sentence on this. We're going to talk full-day kindergarten as well, simply because we have heard certain, let's call it, governments described as those governments who will kill you death by a thousand cuts. Is that kind of what we're looking at here. We know that the Ford government has to save money in Ontario. We know that this province is not in good shape financially. That was the case under the Liberals. It's been inherited by the Conservatives. That's just a fact. But we are seeing things like full-day kindergarten put on the chopping block. We are seeing things like what we've been hearing on 980 CFPL with regard to bus passes for college and university students. Or what we were talking about just two days ago on London Live when we had a couple of past presidents from the University Students' Council on saying, wait a minute, if the Ford government is looking at allowing students to opt in to these ancillary fees, this is a mistake. This is something that, wait, you've, you've got to reconsider this. You've got to be clearer on what it is that you are saying. That was, I, I'm not, I don't want to put words in their mouth if you missed the interview. They didn't say it was a mistake. I'm kind of saying... It's a mistake. But what they were saying is we need this to be clearer. We need to know where it is that you're going to cut back or what you would make optional. Because right now, as it was described a couple of days ago by two past university student council presidents from Western, here was the issue. You have 
a number of services that can be ordered because you can promise all of these people are going to be using them. You have a number of other things that can be provided because they're provided in bulk. Hello, Costco generation. Hi, we're speaking to you. If you buy a great big jar of mustard, you too understand how this works. If you are offering things in bulk, like if you are able to say, yeah, what if we could tell you that 50,000 people would be dedicating X amount of dollars, and we can lock that in right now, to use your service or to buy your product. We're guaranteeing you 50000 at whatever price we lock in. What do you think? You're going to say, hey, absolutely. Yeah, we'll sign up for that. Definitely. Well, if you all of a sudden make this optional, that stops working. That's no longer shopping at the big box store, buying in bulk. That's no longer doing that. That's allowing everybody to pick and choose. And because of that, you're going to see fees rise. So wait a minute here. You're telling me, you are telling me that you are going to reduce tuition by 10%. Yeah. Wow, doesn't that look good? But wait a minute, OSAP's changing. But wait a minute, ancillary fees are changing. So you're going to lose some of the things that the students really make use of. Is that the right way to do it? No. In my mind, absolutely not. This is silly. And we've got to stop reading headlines and start looking at the base of this story. And you know what? I'm in the boat here. I've got to start pressuring people to be clearer. Stephen Lecce was one of the people that was pointed to by the past presidents. So we'll try and get him to make this story a little bit clearer. He hasn't wanted to at this point. Maybe they're still trying to figure out how they're going to do this. Governments are famous for that. Here's what we're going to do. How are you going to do that? Still figuring that out, but we wanted to make this announcement today because it's a sunny day and pictures are optimum. So here you go. Yeah, that's the thing you got to be concerned about. 519-643-2222. We'll talk about the start of Heart Month in just a couple of minutes on London Live. Right now, let's go to the phones. John, you had something to say about Humboldt. I do. Hey, how are you today? I'm great. Uh, you know what? Just on a side note there, Richard, I, I, I like Richard, listen to a lot of radio stations. I hear Richard a lot on the Hamilton radio station lately. Hmm. So well, you have heard him lately. This is what yeah. I want to ensure yeah, that Richard is okay. Definitely. He, he's, I keep hearing, well, hello. <laughs> Yeah, he's doing good. He's uh, I hear him a lot on a Hamilton stage. Okay. So he's good. You know what? Regarding the humble thing, you know what? Of course, tragedy, tragedy, tragedy. You just can't get around this. But you know what? I'm starting, I've been reading a bit on the Internet and that about uh, this poor guy's boss, uh, the owner of the trucking company. And it seems like this guy that caused the accident um, uh, was, I don't know if he's new to Canada, but he is new at that job. He'd only been, I don't know, licensed to drive these trucks 30 or 60 days. Hadn't been long. Hadn't been long. And they're saying now in the logbook, it wasn't, the logbook doesn't, uh, isn't driving the way it should be. He was driving more hours without sleep and time between, rest periods between. I'm starting to wonder if he was afraid for his job and maybe his boss, and I'm just uh, alleging this, I don't know if it's true or not, but maybe he was under fear of losing his job and he was being told, you're going to drive, you're going to drive, you're going to drive. We've been told he wasn't drunk, he wasn't uh, high, he wasn't distracted. Maybe no environmental was, factors, the exactly, sun was maybe he fell asleep. Maybe he fell asleep because he has been working so hard and he was afraid of losing his job. I'm just throwing that out mm -hmm. there. And I do go with, yes, there has to be some... Some retribution done here in jail time, yes. I don't believe, like, 
200 years. I, I, I am a firm believer that this poor guy has to live with this the rest of his life. He did not wake up that morning and say, I'm going to go out and kill a bunch of people in my truck today. That was not the case at all. But I'm starting to wonder, what's going to happen? Are we going to hear much? Is there going to be a big, big lawsuit? And is it going to be out in the public against the owner of this company? Because I hear not too many good things on the Internet. Mind you, that doesn't mean it's the truth, but hearing a lot of bad things about the owner of this company, and he was violating laws, and I'm thinking that maybe he was passing this on to this new employee. You're going to work, or you're going to keep working? No, you don't need this rest period. You just keep working, or you're not going to have a job. I'm wondering if that factors into it at all. Maybe. It's great points. John, thanks so much for the call. Have a great day. Take care. 519-643-2222. Got about 30 seconds. Harold, they're your 30 seconds before we go. Roundabout. Make a roundabout. Yeah, make roundabouts at these corners, and it'll stop everybody both ways. You know what? I drive through roundabouts on my way home every day. I got to say I like them. I do too, Mike. I like them a lot. Harold, good point. Yep. Thank you. And you know what? I did get a link from Bill. Bill, thank you so much for finding this, and it comes from the Humboldt Journal. I'll share it with you in about 15 minutes from now in terms of what the plan is. Here's what I can apparently tell you uh, as I read through this very quickly, and uh, this article comes from December 12, 2018, from the Humboldt Journal, that they will be making improvements to arm. Well, actually, I shouldn't even say that. They're going to have a review. We're a long way past this taking place. In December, all of a sudden, now we're going to have a review? Where was the review 30 years ago when locals were saying, this is not a safe intersection? Where was the review then? This is the best that they've been able to do so far? That disappoints me. I hope that's wrong, but I'll share the details of that story. Bill, thank you for emailing that through to me. You can email me at any time, mike at 980cfpl.ca. Next up, we're going to talk about Heart Month, which gets underway, and we're going to look at something that you might not even realize is a thing. You might hear about it, but not truly comprehend it. We have just had a news conference that has outlined this, and it happened at the Western Center for Public Health and Family Medicine on Richmond Street. We'll be talking next with Dr. Anthony Tang on London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. If I asked you the following question, by 2020... What would you say is the leading cause of death in Canada? Go ahead, think about it. I've already kind of given you a hint. It is heart-related. But what would you say would be the leading cause of death in Canada by 2020? Well, let's find out. We have Heart Month getting underway tomorrow, because this is January 31st. Tomorrow is... February 1st, February is Heart Month, and don't forget Groundhog Day on Saturday. Joining us right now is a man who can answer the question, what will be the leading cause of death in Canada if the path continues by 2020? Dr. Anthony Tang is the CEO and Scientific Director of CanNet. Dr. Tang, thanks so much for taking some time for us. Hello, thank you, Mike. So the leading cause of death is said to be... By 2020, exactly what in this country? Cardiovascular disease is one of the, the leading cause of death in this country, and it is going to be the leading cause of death around the world. 
So we're not, we're going outside the Canadian borders. We're now saying around the world. And I guess if we look at our own chests, if we put our hand there, you can feel, yeah, I'm still going. Still got the heartbeat going right there. What exactly do we need to know in order to make changes to that? Or is this just something that, well, the world lives with this. We all have a, a kind of a ticking time bomb in our chest that helps to tick us to life at any other time. Yes. So every one of us in North America and in Canada is at some risk of developing heart disease. And for those some people... That, that risk is higher than others, and some of it is to do with how you live, live your life. So if you live a healthy life, you eat well, you exercise regularly, you don't smoke, you do all those things, then you have a better chance at it. Of course, you can choose it, but who your parents are also affects it. And we do know how widespread this is. If we stop and think about all the people that we know who have had some kind of heart issue, it doesn't take long before you fill up all of your fingers and toes. CanNet is the Cardiac Arrhythmia Network of Canada, and cardiac arrhythmias are set to be that leading cause of death in Canada, and Dr. Tang, you say, around the world as well. What exactly is a cardiac arrhythmia? So arrhythmia is a a big word. It means heart rhythm disturbances. So if you look at your heartbeat, it has a rhythm. Hopefully for all of us who are living and walking and working, that that rhythm is pretty good and it is quite regular and it's ticking like a clockwork. Unfortunately, occasionally it doesn't do that. And sometimes if it doesn't do that, it can be rather lethal. It can die very suddenly from it. The difficulty is that it's unpredictable. You do not know when it's going to happen to you. If you have a bad heart to start with, you are much, much more likely for this to happen. And if it is not corrected within a few minutes, a person can die suddenly. And that's called sudden cardiac death. We're talking with Dr. Anthony Tang. February is Heart Month. February begins tomorrow. So we're going to do a number of things throughout the month of February to learn more about our hearts and kind of how to take care of them. Dr. Tang is the Chief Executive Officer and Scientific Director of the Cardiac Arrhythmia Network of Canada in town today because, Dr. Tang, there are some advances being made in London, Ontario for cardiac arrhythmia. Are there not? Oh, yes. We have a very, very uh, good... Uh, program here in London and has been for some time. We are leading the country, we're leading the world in this area. So what exactly is the research doing or what exactly is being done in order to maybe take this fact right here that by 2020 cardiac arrhythmias are set to be the leading cause of death in Canada around the world? What's being done to change that? Right. So one of the things that we want to do is that we would want to be able to predict, try to find a way to, to find out who is more likely to do so. And if it is so, then is there a way that we can prevent it? And if we cannot prevent it, is it a way we can get to the individual within a few minutes so that we can actually correct the problems before the person dies? Those are the things that we are doing. Those are the many things that we are trying to identify 
and be able to track it. Some of the ways of doing that is various different innovative techniques to look at predictors, some of the markers to indicate a person is at very high risk of developing this, and therefore we can implant a device into the individual, be able to monitor the heart rhythm continuously, and if it goes out of order in a quick way, we can detect it within seconds and be able to deliver an electric shock through the heart and be able to correct the problem. And that's an implantable defibrillator. And that's obviously the, the ultimate, or for someone who is at risk, that would be fantastic for them. At first, we've got to identify these people. Obviously, that's difficult. Can you give us, before you go, even some signs and symptoms for anyone who may be at risk, some things that you want to be looking for in your life? So if you have a heart condition that you already know, you need to get to your doctor to say, I need to know what my heart function is. For example, if a person who has had a heart attack, who has had the heart attack dealt with, and heart attack is a situation in which the artery that provides blood to the heart are blocked. And we have now ways to unblock these arteries. And that's very good. However, even unblocking the arteries can affect the muscles of the heart and make the heart weak. And if that's the case, then that person would be at risk of this heart rhythm disturbances that can kill the individual. So you need to then go to the doctor and say, I need to have my heart function assessed in the subsequent months after a heart attack and be able to identify if it is indeed, if the heart muscle is really in trouble, then then you may be a candidate for one of these implantable defibrillators. All right. Well, there is some great advice right there. Dr. Tang, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing, and please continue to spread that message, and here's hoping that by 2020 we don't have cardiac arrhythmias as the leading cause of death in Canada. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Bye-bye, Mike. Bye-bye. That is Dr. Anthony Tang, Chief Executive Officer, Scientific Director of CanNet, which is the Cardiac Arrhythmia Network of Canada. We'll focus in on a number of other heart stories throughout the month of February. We are going to focus in on sentencing for Jaskarat Singh Sidhu. Sentencing hasn't come down, but the Crown has put in their request. I want to look at the process as to how this happens, and I also want to get to something that Bill had sent in. He was able to find what is being done about Armley Corner in Saskatchewan right now because I was having trouble finding anything. And this doesn't seem to be a great big thing. I guess at least it's something. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We're going to explore a little of the legal process that will hopefully help us from jumping to the headlines and thinking, now I know what's going on. Now I know the story. That's something we do a lot. Let's face it. A lot of stories have links to them. Do you click the link? I can tell you how many times people will look at a story and how many times they will click a link on our own Twitter feed on 980CFPL. And they don't match up very well. A lot of people will look at, oh yeah, there's that. 
And then you have the people who will click the link and go deeper into the story. We want to make sure we get deep into this so that we all understand exactly what the process is. Because there was a parent who, in their victim impact statement regarding the crash that took 16 lives on the Humboldt Broncos bus in April of 2018, had said that no number of years in prison is going to make a difference. And that's very true. Somebody had to say that. But we'll go through the legal process in a moment. What I want to do right now is go back to something that Bill had sent. And at the beginning of the show, I was talking about the fact that I was hoping Armley Corner had been repaired. Because our good friend Richard, who... According to John, and John, thanks for this. John listens to a lot of talk radio. He's heard Richard's voice recently in Hamilton. Richard, have you moved to Hamilton? We've been missing you. Maybe we've got to get Richard's number so we can call him. I miss Richard. I always loved his perspective on things, and he was always good at starting conversations because you had people that agreed with him and you had people who didn't agree with him. And that's never a bad thing in talk radio, is it? So he had lived in Saskatchewan. And this had been a dangerous corner then. So what's been done? Well, Bill sent me something from the Humboldt Journal. Comes from December 12th, 2018. And it actually comes from the area. It's kind of like, I'm guessing, Glanworth Curve. If we picture that in this area. If you say Glanworth, well, this is from Armley. And it says, this is... Straight out of the Humboldt Journal, a review into the safety of the intersection where the Humboldt Broncos crash happened is recommending rumble strips, wider shoulders, and removal of sight-blocking trees, among other improvements. My question is, why does this take so long? How is this not something that a government would rubber stamp immediately? Why is it even nine months after? Why is it going on ten months after? Why? I don't get it. Here's a quote. The Ministry of Highways and Infrastructure will implement all 13 recommendations, reconfirming the previous government commitment to implement all recommendations. Okay, when? When? Why has this not been done? this, This is where government fails. Yeah, well, you know, this person has to okay it. Then we have to present it here. In certain things, there's got to be a better way. This is one of those things. Next, we will go through the legal process behind this. This is London Live. Stick with us. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. In order to understand something fully, we've got to make sure that we wind up looking at how different processes work. So... We want to look at what the Crown is doing, what the defense is doing, what the judge is doing, you name it, in terms of Jaskarat Singh Sidhu and the Humboldt Broncos crash. Because this is something that you wind up having an opinion on simply because you followed the story. This is not a story that somebody went, ah, I'm not going to read about that. This was a bus crash that killed 16 people. This is something that has, will always affect lives. And it's one of those things where it becomes one of those news stories that's a watershed moment. Where were you when you first heard this? And you remember, because it was that serious. So here's what we know in all of this. 
And this is kind of the, the first headline that comes up. And this is why I caution against those headlines. The first headline that we read is something to the effect of truck driver sentenced in Broncos crash, desire of crown, 10-year consecutive sentence. And immediately people will say, he gets he, 10 years. He gets 10 years? No, no, no. Look at that. Here's a different headline. Uh, Crown looking for 10-year sentence for truck driver in Broncos crash. Okay. 10 years? And immediately people say, well, here's my opinion based on that information. Let's peel this back a little bit. Joining us right now is criminal defense attorney Carolyn Conron from Conron Law here in London. Carolyn, thanks so much for taking some time for us. Oh, thanks for having me. Let's look at the process because we're going to see this and think, oh, this is the ask. This is exactly, it's either going to be 10 years or, you know, I don't, I don't even know what it is. People will say, okay, it is going to be 10 years based on this headline. What do we need to know about the Crown asks for a certain amount of time in a case? Well, you know, I wanted to say before touching on the legal elements, we need to, I think, acknowledge the tragic loss of so much potential that was in the bus on that day. Right? It's a very tragic event that occurred. And sentencing in highly emotional cases like this is a very difficult task for a judge. When we're dealing with this, even for the lawyers involved in this, I mean, this is a very unique case. Like you say, it's an immeasurable tragedy. And that was a, a, a fitting word, the potential on this bus, the young lives that were there. When you look at the lawyers involved in this, is there a way that they get involved to try and figure out how to handle things? Yes. And so Section 718 of the Criminal Code that they're the principles of sentencing and the fundamental purpose of sentencing is to protect society and to contribute along with crime prevention initiatives to respect for the law and the maintenance of a just, peaceful and safe society. Okay. So judges have to impose just sentences that have a number of specific goals, which include denouncing unlawful conduct, deterring individuals, both specifically and generally to separate offenders from society where necessary, to assist in their re- rehabilitation, because eventually they will be released from custody if that's necessary, and we want them to be well-adjusted more so when they come out than when they went in, right? To provide for reparations and to promote a sense of responsibility in offenders and a- a- acknowledgement of the harm done to the victims or to the community. Okay. And there will be people who say, in this case that this becomes very different because you're looking at an offender where, yes, the responsibility, he pled guilty, lies with him. However, he did not wake up in the morning, as John said earlier this hour, and say, I'm going to drive a truck into an intersection and I'm going to change the lives of 29 people, take 16 of those lives away completely and permanently. And so in terms of the, the gravity of the offense and the degree of responsibility of the offender, the sentence must be proportional to that. Okay. And so so sentences can be increased or reduced based on uh, the individual case. It's a holistic assessment of the factors involved, but there are certain aggravating and mitigating factors that are taken into account in each case. 
And those factors, would they would they have been some of the things that have been presented already, whether they're environmental factors or whether we're looking at drugs and alcohol or things like that in a case like this? So both Crown and Defense Counsel will present to the judge the factors that they say call for a higher sentence or call for a lower sentence. So they assist the judge. And so they'll say, here's the range of cases of similar offenders that have uh, been in this in a similar situation because uh, that's the principle, right? Similar offenders should be treated similarly. And so there's a range of sentences for these uh, types of scenarios. And then depending on the aggravating and mitigating factors in the specific case, then it can decrease or increase the sentence. So the Crown presents and asks for something. We've heard about that. The defense presents. Will they make a, a specific ask for here's how much time we feel is appropriate? Uh, sometimes, or sometimes they can suggest a range that would be appropriate. And then ultimately it comes down to the judge and she or he makes the ultimate call. That's right. In a case like that, how does a judge how does a judge even go to that? How do you, how do, you do that? You mentioned how difficult it is. How do they do it? <laughs> You'll have to ask a judge. Yeah. Well, that's something we, we may aim to do. But you've, you've spelled out exactly how this case then is going to proceed, how it's going through. And, Carolyn, we want to thank you for doing that because it, it certainly sheds more light on just seeing that headline of here's what the Crown is asking for. The one thing that we could ask before you go is consecutive sentence. We're going to hear that. What does that tend to mean? So that means that one sentence is served after the other. Okay. Uh, the contrast would be a concurrent sentence where the sentences for both offenses are served at the same time. So if someone is given consecutive sentences in Canada, is it possible for someone to go to jail for actually longer than what they could possibly be alive, go to jail for 100 years? <laughs> uh, yes. If that is ruled a consecutive sentence? That's my understanding. Okay. Carolyn, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you. Take care. That is Carolyn Conron, defense attorney with Conron Law. So... Yeah, the the little particulars do matter in cases like this. If this comes out to be 10 years plus a 10-year driving ban, and that is it, and we've got concurrent sentences and not consecutive sentences, if that's what it winds up being, how are people going to feel about that? Again, we have people who are going to say, you know what, he's got the ultimate life sentence already without having served a day. Because he has to live with what happened. And if you're someone who has never blown through a stop sign, you are someone who is a very good driver. Then we're going to have people saying, you know what, whatever the max is, that's it. As Carolyn Conron pointed to, you would factor in the potential on the bus. You would look at all of these young lives taken away. You have someone pleading guilty for taking those lives, then maximum, maximum. We're going to hear that. If you have any thoughts on where you feel something like this should fall, you know, do you have sympathy for Jaskarat Singh Sidhu? Do we look at apparently the owner of the trucking company who's making a court appearance today, if I understand it right, in Calgary and is making a court appearance simply because of a number of violations that have been levied against that company? 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. Got a couple of minutes if you want to share your thoughts on this particular topic. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.
We do not have a sentence yet. We have a crown request for sentencing in the Jaskarat Singh Sidhu guilty plea. We also have an opportunity to go to the phones and get your thoughts on this. Mary, you are up first. Hello. Hello, Mr. Stubbs. Hello. I, you know, there's a saying, you can really tell a lot about a person's character by the way he drives. And, you know, I've lived all over the country, and I see it. Sometimes I wait for the bus, and I see people, even, you know, bicyclists, they go right through a bus stop without even uh, without even stopping. And I think it's really, you know, clean cut. I don't feel sorry for Mr. Sudhu. I think this is a, you can't blame it on the road, you know, whether there's a, a four-way stop sign. There was a stop sign there, and I don't care where you are, what planet you're on. If there's a stop sign, you stop. This guy went right through. You know, and he had 70 violations before he was on the truck. When you come into this country, you respect the law. You know, whether you're new or whether you're a Canadian, you've been here for 50 years. You know, he, he broke the law. Uh, his, the company probably needs to be under investigation, but he deserves to pay for what, you know, he, he should have stopped at that stop sign. Whether there was one stop sign, two, three, or four, he should have stopped, and, and he is to blame. And, you know, you say he's going, even if you didn't put him in jail, he has to live with it. And unfortunately, some people don't, don't have ethics, you know. They have to pay for what they did. Mary, thanks for your thoughts. Okay. 519-643-2222. If you want to share your thoughts on Jaskarat Singh Sidhu, we had a chance to talk a couple of weeks ago about his guilty plea. Now they're starting to form the potential for sentencing and how many years he may actually serve in prison. Mary is putting the blame completely with him. Do you put the blame on the province of Saskatchewan? I put blame on them. You know, this corner could have been made safer. We had Harold call last hour and say, you want to solve this? Roundabout. Why are roundabouts in existence? Because they make it very difficult for crashes like this to take place. Are there crashes? Yeah, but you look at a roundabout, and if you bump somebody in a roundabout-type intersection, you're not going to be going as fast as you are if this is just a regular old intersection. Know what intersection scares me in this area a lot? The one that exists now, and I, I don't know if you've driven through it, but if you look at where Wonderland Road has been continued beyond the 401, there was a stop sign that went one way, and then when they repaved everything, the stop sign now faces the other way. So it's through on the way that you used to stop, and it's not through on the way that you didn't stop. Why didn't they just make that a four-way stop? I, have, I don't understand. Why didn't they do something different with that intersection? I think that's one of the most dangerous intersections. It has some blind spots to it as well because there's a hill. So that's, that's one that needs to be fixed in this area that somebody just kind of blew past. Marilyn, your thoughts before we go away to news? Well, thank you very much. Well, I feel very sorry for all concerned. For the man who did the driving... He's got that on his conscience for the rest of his life. And uh, I feel very sorry for all those who have lost loved ones, children, and those who have been injured. Now, that's how I feel. I'm not the judge. I'm not sitting on the bench doing the judging. And I really don't know the ins and outs of the whole thing. Now, maybe the man wasn't really... Um, trained in uh, truck driving skills. I don't know. Yeah, we don't know that. We don't know very much before we can judge. 
and we should just hold our tongues. And uh, I can only feel sorry for this poor, for this man, and for all those concerned. Everybody throws the blame. They blame this. They blame that. They blame this person. They blame that without knowing all that went on. Now, also, I miss Richard very much, and I hope that Richard will come back and and uh, you know get back on. Craig's show and on your show, too. I hope so, too. Marilyn, I'm glad that you are here. You please continue to stay with us, okay? I surely will. I love <laughs> you and, and Craig to bits. You know that. I know that. Marilyn, you have a great day. You too, dear. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'll take a break for news, but right there, that was a perfect example of the two polar ends of this. It is as polarizing as it gets. The two polar ends of this. One... You feel for the person involved, the other, the blame falls completely on the person who was behind the wheel of the transport truck. We'll see how the judge decides in all of this. We are going to talk about full-day kindergarten. We may have an opportunity to talk about something called Stop the Bleed, and we're also going to have some very special guests. If you can smell anything through your radio, you're going to want to get very close to it. I have a feeling in about 40 minutes from now. Because Deb and Joanne are coming in to talk about what kindness cookies are. Oh, I hope they're tasty. I bet they are. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Keep that Windmar number handy. Have you seen the forecast? You know we're going to get rain, right? Know what we should all do? And I'm not even sure if this works. The guys at Windmar would know. But we should all find the drain closest to our homes... If you happen to live in town, in a subdivision, and we should chip away the snow and ice from that right now. Would that help? Because what we're going to experience if we get a lot of rain is the inability for water to have a place to go because everything's frozen over. And then it floods. And then when it goes down to minus 7 and minus 8, as the expectations are next week, what happens there? Uh, yeah, uh, flooding. Lots of flooding, and that's when you need the number for Winmar Handy. Would that do the trick? Like, if I go out and find... I'm a dummy when it comes to being able to know what to do. You know, if it's something that my dad has taught me or something I picked up along the way, yeah, that's one thing. But I don't know whether or not that would, that would work. Would I have to chip away then all of the ice all the way along to that particular drain in order to help it out? I don't know. If you know anything about drains, we need your expertise today. 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. But that stuff is coming. It's going to warm right up. Hard to believe we're going to have a swing from where we are right now, wind chills in the minus 30s, up to well above zero. Hey, 7 degrees Celsius. Be careful. Unprotected skin will burn. And SPF protection. And Really? That's kind of where we're going. Alberta gets this kind of stuff. Calgary's famous for this kind of swing. It's called a Chinook. Usually it happens within less than a few days, though. But we're almost out of this particular cold snap. No guarantee that we won't have another one. We were talking about bus passes very briefly and basically ancillary fees for college and university students and why this becomes... Kind of that death by a thousand cuts. And I'm, I'm starting to worry, starting to worry that the Doug Ford government 
is creating death by a thousand cuts. Because we have things like, hey, we're going to give a 10% reduction in tuition. Okay. But we're going to change the OSAP structure. Hmm. So we're not going to have as much grant money, it looks like? Hmm. And, oh yeah, all of these extra fees, you can opt in and opt out. So you have the opportunity to say, yeah, I don't use my bus pass, so I'm not going to do that. Meanwhile... Western and Fanshawe have been able to go and say, hey, guess what, LTC? We can guarantee that as many as 50,000 riders are going to give you this much money. And I'm not sure what it works out to per student. The ancillary fees, they're somewhere, I think, for a university student under 1000 bucks, but it comes up pretty close to 1000 But overall, you get a lot of services. Andy did comment on this, and he brings up a good point because I compared it to Costco. We live in a Costco culture where I'm going to save money by buying a massive jar of mustard. Of course, it's all going to dry up before I eat enough mustard. We don't eat hot dogs on a day like today. It's too cold. So I might lose out in the end. But when I buy it, that's going to be cheaper mustard. For the amount of mustard that I get, that's cheaper mustard. Andy says that analogy has a slight problem. I have the choice whether to join Costco and buy in bulk or go to the small grocery store and get just the smaller items I need. Andy, you've blown my mind. And you're exactly right. All right, my analogy missed the mark. But in a way, that's what the university and the college have been able to do. They've been able to get better deals for students. But now the opportunity is going to exist to go and just get what you need. But what if it's something that you don't know that you need? You're a university student. People are moving out of the house for the very first time. They don't know what they need and what they don't need. Neither do their parents. Do you have a phone? Yeah. Will you use the phone? Will you text me back if I text you just to make sure you're still okay? That's about all you can do. You have clothes on your back? Yep. Tuition paid? Uh Uh-huh. Meal plan? Mm Mm-hmm. Off you go. See you later. Please don't waste my money. Bye. I mean, what else are you supposed to have here? But in this case, you do have things that come up. You do have things that are available to you. I don't know. I'm going through this right now. Got a university student in my house. We paid the ancillary fees as part of the tuition. Do I know exactly the breakdown? No. Do I know what things my daughter has taken and used? No. I know she's used the bus. Other than that, I don't know. She lives on her own now. You know? Hi, you doing okay? Yep. Great, bye. That's kind of what the the relationship becomes. So, in this case, I do get concerned, to get back to the point in all of this, that it's becoming death by a thousand cuts. And it's a little bit of bait and switch. Oh, we're going to do this, and it looks fantastic. But we're also going to do these two things... And if you actually do the math on them, the first thing, not as fantastic. And that brings us to all-day kindergarten, which, yes, does save parents some money because daycare costs are either reduced or done away with by the time a child is four years old. For some of them, three and a bit, turning four. So that assists families. That's why it was sold to us in the first place. Previous government said, here's what we're going to do. Families, you with daycare, you need a break. Daycare costs are very expensive. But what's the number that's thrown around? $1.5 billion 
is what it costs the province to run full-day kindergarten. So that's a $1.5 billion cost savings that winds up being pretty easy. But what does that do? That puts everything back on the onus of daycare providers. And there are very strict rules. Rules that have existed like you have to have one daycare provider for every five kids. And I think it changes if they're really, really small, which these days, yeah, they're really, really small because they're under four. Are you okay with going back to the way that it used to be? There were all kinds of concerns about, oh, full day kindergarten, what, what will it do to our children? I don't think there's anybody who's worried about that. You know, you're you're in a classroom setting. No, you don't necessarily have a lot of one-on-one, but it's it's not hurting you. If anything, it's it's getting your kid to learn how to go to school earlier. Aren't you trying to teach your kids to read by the time they're four? Even before they get into school, you're you've been reading stories to them at night, don't you? You know, how about you try this word? Isn't that kind of the the leg up that you get with full day kindergarten? Probably. Are you concerned, and here's my question right now, are you concerned about death by a thousand cuts from the Doug Ford government? Is this the introduction of it? Is that what we're seeing? Well, this little thing here, and this little thing here, and this little thing here. Or are these things things that needed to be changed back? This all-day kindergarten, you know, I wind up paying for it in taxpayer dollars. I haven't had a kid under the age of four or a grandkid under the age of four ever. So why am I contributing to that? If they want to have kids... They should go to daycare. The parents should pay the daycare costs. Where do you fall on that? Because those are the two ends of that spectrum. 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. Are we entering? Are we seeing death by a thousand cuts? Or are these things that needed to be changed? And we've got somebody in there who is making those changes. How do you see it? 519-643-2222. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. Back with more in a moment. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Let's take a look at things like all-day kindergarten, things like changes to tuition. Are we starting to see death by a thousand cuts, or is this job done right so far? by the Doug Ford government. 519-643-2222. Adam, let's start with you. What do you think? Yeah, thanks, Mike, for taking my call. You know, I have a, uh, I have a child in grade two, and I have a child in senior kindergarten. And, uh, you know, everybody's up in arms about the potential of, of canceling, you know, a full-day kindergarten uh, starting in junior kindergarten. I, I'm not so sure it's that much of a crisis, though. I actually, in hindsight, think that my kids could probably have benefited from an additional year in in a daycare setting. I don't know that a kindergarten setting is always right for every single child um, with their sort of developmental needs uh, to to provide them with uh, with what they need. Um, here, my my point really is that uh, they go from uh, you know one to ten or 1 to 15 ratios, and then they go into kindergarten where they've got 1 to 26 ratio, 1 to 31 ratio. They've got uh, a teacher and an EA and a whole bunch of social expectations on, you know, being able to sit for certain lengths of time, being able to use your words and communicate, being able to toilet yourself properly. Well, 
I mean, uh, some three-and-a-half-year-olds are still in diapers. And so I think the government created this as respite to working families, but I don't know that it matches the developmental needs of children, really. And so I, I, I think we could probably just redirect some subsidy back into making paying for daycare easier for working families that don't meet the threshold for subsidy because i'll tell you when i when i had two kids in daycare that was two thousand dollars a month as well that's not easy for anyone regardless of your wages and was it always that much because i i know there was a point where the cost of daycare jumped and everybody started figuring out what everybody else was charging and it seemed to go to like 50 bucks a day yeah, so I think, so when I had, a, I had one of my kids as an infant spot, and I was paying close to $60 a day for them, and one in a preschool spot, which was $43 per day, right? So add that up times, you know, it would fluctuate whether it was 21 to 25 actual working days per month. Um, plus, you had to pay them for stat holidays. We had a licensed daycare. Anyways, yeah, it was it was just south of, of two thousand dollars every month. You know, that was an entire one of our paychecks. We figured out it was about forty five percent of our income was going to childcare at that time. Wow! And that says it right there. If if you were to walk up to somebody and say, "Do you think it's fair that we're paying forty five percent of our income to childcare?" They would say, "Absolutely not." But like you said, if we could figure out some kind of subsidy, I wonder how far we could stretch the supposed $1.5 billion that all-day kindergarten is covering. Because you make some good points. I mean, to take one age range, I guess you almost have to reach for Malcolm Gladwell and, and say, yeah, I mean, to take a calendar year, if you've got people who are born in December and they're starting all-day kindergarten, they're, they're basically three and a half. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. I just really think that our licensed daycare centers are better uh, equipped to be able to provide. And we're not even talking about education at that point, right? The school's mandate is education. We're really talking about developmentally appropriate child care. And I think daycares are better equipped to be able to do that. And I think the money would be better redirected to make it more accessible to parents to access that versus for schools to start to educate children when they're really not ready to be educated yet. Adam, one more question before you go. Did you and your wife ever sit down and, and try to decide whether or not you wanted to put your, your child in, in full-day daycare? I think it, would it have been one that was affected by this or both? Yeah, it, it, was, uh, it, it would have been both at the time. Um, and absolutely, and it wasn't just a singular discussion. <laughs> you know, it, w- it was a discussion every month. We had a short month to say, can we can we really continue to do this? Uh, you know, d- does one of us need to go down to a part-time income? Does one of us need to take an additional leave from work? Uh, you know, do we do we want to look at some other non-traditional sources of, of daycare? Unfortunately, when our children were young, we weren't living in London. We were living away from family. We really just didn't have any other options other than to stop working. We toughed it out, um, but it, it definitely was an ongoing discussion as to whether or not this was uh, really something that was within our means to do. Um, and that's, that's a little crazy to think about. Should we, should we be able to work in order to pay for daycare? I'm not so sure. Or, you know, I guess it begs the larger question of, you know, our role of work in society, but we're not talking about that right now. Uh, it was always a tough discussion to have, though. Adam, I'm so glad you called today. Thanks. Thank you. That brings up a lot of great points. And I guess the thing to to really explore 
is how we develop kids. Because let's let's think about how the liberals presented this. If we think back, how they present it. Well, daycare costs are really tough to deal with. And Adam just outlined it to the point. I didn't even think it, it was quite that. But yeah, you're basically having one of the people in your house, one of the earners in your house working to fund daycare. That's what they were looking at. Fund daycare and, and the fuel to and from. That'd be 45% right there. That'd, the fuel to and from might bring you to 50. So how do we want to have our kids brought up? Because that was left out of the discussion. This was financial. This was money. This wasn't about what's best for kids. This was about money. Harold? Yeah, my, what are your I thoughts? understand that the people get $600 a month baby bonus for, for each kid they have under a certain age. Well, it depends on how much money you make. That, that's, honestly, the number of times through the lives of our kids that that number has fluctuated, it's, yeah. a, it's wild. You get a new note every couple of months saying, well, here's, here's what it is now. So it does go up and down. It depends on how much money the household is bringing in. Well, okay, if the ones that are getting $600 a month for their kid should be going to these nurseries or wherever and helping look after somebody else's kid. If they're going to be on, you know, say mother's allowance, I guess they call it, then they should be going to somewhere where they have these nurseries to look after kids. If their own kid is going to that kindergarten or whatever, let them go and look after somebody else's kid, too. Yeah, I mean, that brings up the the whole other topic of almost like a work fair. But, yeah, it's it's something that I think we need more exploration because we are still dealing. We can't, we cannot get past, in our world today, dollars and cents, can we? It's <laughs> hey, all dollars and cents. $23 billion in the hole. What's another billion? <laughs> Harold, I love your logic. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> take care. Because what is another billion? Can you picture $23 billion? Nope. I can't. Can you picture 24? But as well as I can picture 23. But we can't get past those dollars. And I don't know what it, what is it that, you know, if, if, is it because it's too hard to quantify something else? Too hard to quantify, okay, this is the right way for a child to be raised? That, you know, by the age of this, this is happening. By the age of this, this is happening. Because you really can't. You've got kids who don't say a word until they're three years old, and then all of a sudden they start speaking in sentences. You have children who leave, lead fine lives, may never utter a word in their lives. So you can't necessarily put it on, well, toilet training takes place at this age, and this takes place at this age. You can't do it, so it's too hard to quantify. So we don't. It's easy to quantify money. That's why we talk a lot about money. Well, look, we've saved this much money. We've spent this much money. It's easy to do that. And because we seem to be run by the almighty buck, but we've got to get to a point where we're trying to figure out what's best, not for the province, not for somebody's pocketbook, but what is best for the development of the child. And I think Adam did a great job bringing that up in that if you go from, let's say, one person for five small individuals to up to 26 small individuals with one teacher and an EA, yeah, you you are expected to be able to do things. 
you are expected to be able to go and use the toilet yourself. That's a big feat for some kids who are three and a half years old, who don't get their pants quite pulled up. Getting dressed in the morning, not always easy. I've been doing it for a lot longer than three and a half years. It's still not always easy. You haven't put your pants backwards at least once? I have. Throw on some track pants in the dark? Wait a minute, why are these pockets facing the wrong... What? What have I done? Same thing. So what is best for the child needs to be thought of in this, but that isn't easily translated into dollars and cents, so we're left with this. In my mind, a concern over death by a thousand cuts. That we've got little tiny thing here, little tiny thing here, little tiny thing over here. And that seems to be what we're underway with. You know what we need? We need some happiness. So we're going to invite a couple of people into the studio who do nothing but bring happiness. They're going to join us in 10 minutes from now. We will get a news update with Jacqueline LaBelle in about two minutes from now. And then, yeah, some some happiness. Oh, that and some creepiness first. I got to throw something really creepy at you. Don't worry. Because this is radio, you can't get the full effect. But it's going to make you look it up later today. And it's creepy. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We are going to talk about something incredibly happy in a moment. Something actually incredibly wonderful. And I don't use that word a lot. But it is. It's wonderful. We're going to talk about kindness cookies. But because we're going to talk about something happy and really wonderful, can I do something? Can I talk about something creepy if I promise to talk about happy and wonderful? Can we offset those things? Will it help the yin and the yang of the universe? Happy thing, creepy thing. You have to see this creepy thing, but what I'm going to tell you and what I'm going to play for you is going to make you look it up at some point. But it does have something that may have some weight-bearing bones to it in the next U.S. election, maybe even in our own federal election in Canada. I don't know. Here's what it is. I, I want you to listen to something first. Listen to this. This was very truly surprising for me. Um... Yeah, I was just really surprised. So, what did you hear? You heard somebody giving an acceptance speech. Listen to it one more time. This was very truly surprising for me. Um, Yeah, I was just really surprised. You recognize the voice, right? Hunger Games, uh, Silver Linings Playbook, the one on the spaceship with the guy who wakes up, then he wakes her up. Did I just spoil something? I don't know what that one's called. Starfleet 7? I don't know. I don't watch enough movies. That's Jennifer Lawrence. But what was playing there, and you're just going to thank me later when you actually do watch this, I'll tweet a link. You're going to thank me that this is radio and you couldn't see what that was. Because that was actually the face of Steve Buscemi and the voice of of Jennifer Lawrence. And basically what they had done, they've taken his head, and it's somewhat digitized, but this is not, you know, put a, an inanimate mask and you see a mouth moving. You know how they used to make cats talk and it was actually a human mouth? That was kind of creepy for a while. This is creepier because it's Jennifer Lawrence in a red dress 
It's her body, but it's Steve Buscemi's head. And everything matches. The facial expressions match. If you were watching this, and maybe you weren't watching it in 1080p definition on your nice high-def TV, you would think it was Steve Buscemi in a dress sounding just like Jennifer Lawrence. It's creepy to watch. So here's the concern in all of this. We're getting to be, and not us, I'm not, but overall there are people out there who are getting to be very good at creating whatever the software is that takes somebody and turns them into somebody else. And they've done this with a lot of different faces. And come election time, you're scrolling through those feeds and going, well, look what that candidate just said. When in reality, if you looked at the very small print, it wasn't that candidate at all. But we don't look at small print. We read headlines. And then we click on things and we watch them. And this was just kind of that little test showing, huh. So here's what you need to Google if you actually want to see this. I'll tweet a link at Stubbs980. But you need to Google the words deep fake. So D-E-E-P and the word fake. F-A-K-E. That's it. Google that, and then just sit back and uh, let your skin crawl. So that's something creepy. Next up, something more than very good. Something wonderful. We're going to be talking with Deb Parnash and Joanne Lombardi all about kindness cookies and a particular campaign that is running right now in support of first responders. This is London Live and Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. I haven't tweeted the link yet, so if you're headed to Stubbs980, it's because I'm having such a nice conversation that we're now going to get to have on the air. Why have a conversation when the microphone's off when you can turn on the microphones and have the same conversation and talk about some of the things that get done that we need to appreciate? I promised, after a creepy story, a good story. No more Steve Buscemi. No more Jennifer Lawrence. No more teamed up into the same body. It's not happening. We're now going to talk about kindness cookies, because joining us in studio, we have Joanne Lombardi, and we have Deb Parnash, and you two are responsible for kindness cookies. We are. (laughs) Deb, you have to tell us, first off, what kindness cookies are and how they might differ from, say, another cookie we ate yesterday. Well, um, first of all, they're home-baked delicious cookies. And um, when you purchase a dozen cookies from Kindness Cookies, you get it's like a baker's dozen, and you get a 13th cookie, and that's the Kindness Cookie, which is individually wrapped, and it has a label on the back that you can write a message to anyone, you know, you're awesome, thinking of you, whatever, and it's meant to pay it forward. So um, when Joanne and I were thinking about this business, and, you know, um, we wanted to give back. It was is about giving back to our community and and how could we do that? And, and so we came up with the idea and it's been great. We've had a great response and great feedback from people. And yeah, so it's been really fun. It's fun to watch people's response when they get a kindness cookie. Okay. How would you describe that response? You've been able to see it a couple of times. Well, how do you, how do you feel? We're canding Mike a kindness cookie. (laughs) Look at this. This is fantastic. Generous ginger cookies. I like ginger cookies. Oh, How did you know? It's one of our favorites. Well, it's funny how that works out, Mike. 
You know what? I feel good. <laughs> is that what I'm supposed to feel? That, that's the whole idea, is that we know that, um, you know, cookies won't uh, change a lot in the world in terms of some of the ills and woes that we're, you know, aware of going on these days. But who doesn't like a cookie? And uh, it just, even if it's a moment of extra special happiness and pleasure, um, that's a good thing. It might not solve all your problems, but if for this moment it brought you something special, that's what we're all about. Can I read what's on the back? You sure can. It said, you bring smiles to everyone. I hope that's true. Thank you very much. You're yeah, welcome. you know You're what? Welcome. I think I'm going to purchase some kindness cookies so I can get that and pay it forward. Well, here you go. Wow. <laughs> this gives us an opportunity to do just that. This is, all right, this is fantastic. Now, you are going even above and beyond what you've already just described because you have a campaign going on that is in support of first responders. Who wants to tell us about exactly how this is going? Joanne? I guess I'll take that, Mike. Yes. So um, as we had a, a great launch to our business back in the fall and a really successful Christmas season, but one of the things that we're really committed to is giving back and making a change in the community, um, one cookie at a time, if you will. So as January is off and running, we're thinking about ways that we can do that, in another way that we can you know, make a difference in the community through the sharing of our cookies. And as we were talking about Bell Let's Talk Day, and some of the issues and challenges that people face, especially at this time of the year. Um, and we're very mindful and respectful about that. But we then also know that on the other side of that, there are the people who support those people. And, and in many cases, first responders who come to the call of many people who are struggling in, in whatever capacity. Um, so it just seemed to be a really natural fit for Deb and I to say, hey, we want to shout out to the first responders to say, hey, thanks, you're doing a great job. You are there 24-7, 365 days of the year, and you do make London a better place. So we put out a plea on our, you know, methods to our purchasers, our customers and, and family and friends to say, you know, are you on board? Get behind this. Do you want to buy cookies that will bake, but you're going to donate to uh, these people? So we had a great response. So um, people bought our cookies that we then baked joyfully, over a thousand cookies. And uh, we've been out all day delivering to uh, EMS stations, fire stations. And later today, we'll end up at the police services department to go into their communications department, the people on the phones, to say thanks. We're talking with Joanne Lombardi and Deb Parnash from Kindness Cookies, and we're talking about not just what they're doing day to day, but what they're doing right now. I'm imagining some of these first responders didn't know you were coming. What was it like when you showed up? At least you're bringing cookies. You can't go wrong. <laughs> no, you can't. No. Actually, you know, they were really shocked, like pleasantly surprised and kind of like, Really? You're bringing us cookies? And once we talked about our business and shared what our campaign was all about, they they really were grateful. They just um, very thankful and I think dying to dig into the box of cookies. <laughs> and, yeah, so it was, it's been really a fun day for us just to, to share that with them and, and just to, you know, hear a little bit about what's happening on their day-to-day -day and what they've been doing and spending time outside in the frigid cold weather. So um, that's been really fun for us. And I think what touched them was with each box of cookies that we delivered, we also gave them a handwritten thank you card that actually named the donor. So they know exactly who the cookies came from. As much as Deb and I are out, you know, delivering them and, you know, we've got the media attention, but it really is because of the people behind us who went online, ordered our cookies and uh, and made a special designation. Yes, I want to be part of your project. And so that's been really exciting. And when you told the first responders that these came from a certain family, 
that even changed their response, mm-hmm. too. They just got this really special look on their face because it wasn't just from Deb and Joanne. It was from the bigger community that was saying thanks. And I think that's really impacted was, me. Yeah. Well, one thing that we maybe didn't mention was the fact that what you had written on the back of this cookie was handwritten. It would be very easy for you to make up stickers. Is that part of this where someone yeah. will handwrite what it and it has to be in their writing? No. Yes, it does. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and and I think that's what um, the great thing is, is that at that moment for that person, maybe you don't know who the cookie's going to. You know, it's a random person, but you might have a pen in your pocket or in your purse and you can say, hey, I want to give that cookie to that person. And um, and I think that's that's the neat part. It's, per, it's very personal. If somebody wanted to know more about Kindness Cookies, you've got to tell us more about how to get involved in this. Absolutely. We uh, we are an online store. Uh, so uh, we have a website, www.kindnesscookies.ca. And uh, we stick with some pretty basic, I shouldn't say basic, but classic flavors, Mike. Uh, the kinds that grandma and mom used to make. We've got um, a generous ginger. We've got an oatmeal chocolate chip, Deb's uh, signature cookie, a regular chocolate chip, a peanut butter, and a chewy chocolate ginger. And we do offer some gluten-free options, too. Well, you're making a difference. So thanks for doing that in this community. This is outstanding. You're very welcome. Awesome. It's our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us here. Thanks for being here and enjoy meeting with police services later today. Thank you so much. I hope some of them know you're coming now because guess what? <laughs> These look fantastic. Get excited. We'll take a quick break. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. I'm going to. Is it okay if I break into this right now? Generous ginger, kindness cookie. I can't not. Oh, it's so soft. That's outstanding. Hmm. Warms you up inside. You know what? We're going to need some of that today. Brian Adams is in town tonight at Budweiser Gardens again. Hi to Brian Adams. If you're tuning into London Live, checking out how things are going in London. If not, hi to Brian Adams anyway. You're a Canadian icon. You've done a great job. And he's playing tonight. Now, here's the thing that you have to remember. Because we live lives that end at our own fingertips. If you can't touch it, it doesn't apply. And then all of a sudden it does. So today is cold. Tonight is going to be cold. And with the concert, we need to head over to Budweiser Gardens just for the reminder. You know that little checklist? You know We need to do things like this in the same way that teams need to practice. Why do teams practice? Why do hockey players practice? I know how to play hockey. Because you have to remind yourself of things. You have to remind yourself of where to be and how to shoot. And if you stop, you kind of lose it. So here's what we're going to do right now. For anybody heading to the Brian Adams concert or any concert on a cold day, please welcome to London Live Danielle Phillips to talk about the Brian Adams concert and tell us how this is going to work out tonight. Danielle, how are you? Good. How are you, Mike? Good. You, you sound fairly warm. Yes, I'm trying to stay warm, but it's very cold outside. Well, we do know that there is going to be a transition period that we really can't do much about because Brian Adams is in town, set to play Budweiser Gardens, and we know that going from, let's say, a warm vehicle, a warm mode of transportation into Budweiser Gardens takes a little bit of time. Lines happen for concerts. What do we know about what's happening tonight, or what can you recommend for people who are heading out to see Brian Adams? Well, definitely dress warm. Doors open at 7 o'clock, and the show does start at 8 p.m. 
There is no opener, so Brian Adams goes on right at 8. So really, um, ticket holders can go in any gate that's uh, open. They don't have to go into a specific gate depending on where they're seating. So really just find the shortest line and uh, try and get into that uh, so we can get you guys in as soon as possible. Okay, and I guess, you know, it, it sounds like we wouldn't have to recommend this, but if people are going to be outside for a little bit of time, they do need to, to wear something that would fit that, don't they? Yes, do dress warmly. It is a cold one. Even if you're out there for a couple minutes, it's still very cold. So keep that in mind. For somebody who doesn't go to a lot of concerts and maybe, you know, is still trying to get the whole lay of the land in getting in, what can you tell them about lines and things like that? Is there a gate they maybe should target or do you just kind of have to take a spin around and look? No, all the gates are going to be open, so really just find the shortest line. But we do have security measures as well, so you will be going through metal detectors when you come. Um, so all of the information is on our website. So if you go to BudweiserGardens.com under Arena Info, we've got some information on the process of metal detectors to kind of help speed that up. So making sure all your keys are taken out of your pockets, your cell phone, so you can put it um, in the dish when you go through and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so there's some more information on our website if you want to take a look at the different um, procedures to go through the metal detectors so to help speed up that process. Danielle Phillips with us from Budweiser Gardens because it isn't just you once you're inside going through that metal detector you'll feel warmer but the people behind you if you're not doing it right they're they're still out there. Yes that's correct so we'll try and get everyone as soon as we can. Well Danielle thank you so much for the tips the reminders and enjoy the show tonight this should be phenomenal. Thank you very much we're looking forward to it. Sounds good. If you have tickets, keep that in mind. There are metal detectors to go through. That is Danielle Phillips from Budweiser Gardens on tonight's Brian Adams concert. A story before we go. Have you seen what Hazel McCallion is up to? This is another one of those kind of good news things. Have you seen the Hazel McCallion story this week? Hazel McCallion, 97 years young. And... She has been named as a special advisor on housing to Premier Doug Ford. And so the Ontario government said, oh, okay, well, thank you for agreeing to sign on to be a special advisor on housing to Premier Doug Ford. That post is worth $150,000. This is according to the Canadian press. $150,000. Dollars. Can I be a special advisor on housing to Premier Doug Ford? How about you? You want to be a special advisor? Housing? Doug Ford? She has said, you know what? Thanks, but uh, no thanks. Um, she's not going to take it. She's taking a pass. She's not going to be doing it. And she's not going to accept the formal appointment or the per diem that went along with it. And even said in a statement... Uh, that uh, she didn't feel she had the time and the energy it would have required, didn't feel comfortable, and someone has pointed, you know what, this right here, this is true character. Because it would have been very easy for her to show up to a couple of meetings and take $150,000 as a special advisor on housing to Premier Doug Ford. Hazel McCallion, no longer mayor of Mississauga, but still getting it done. Congratulations, Hazel McCallion. Coming up next, we have news. We will be talking about how long this cold snap is going to last. Remember, it's supposed to warm up and then rain, and I don't know what that means because then it's supposed to freeze again. You own skates? May need them.
Thanks so much to Matt McInnes. London Live, brought to you by our friends at Winmar, your restoration specialists. You are listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.